There's something you don't see every day from President Trump. The lead starts right now. Breaking news, President Trump expected to back down in his battle with the Supreme Court over the U.S. Census, a fight he already kind of lost in the highest court of the land, but it might not be over just yet. This as the Trump administration gears up to round up undocumented immigrants, migrant families living in fear right now as ICE raids are about to begin this weekend. We're going to speak to the Republican mayor of one of the major cities on the target list. Plus, impulsive, corrupt, incompetent, and in love with Kim Jong-un. Joe Biden goes off on President Trump's leadership on the world stage as Biden lays out his foreign policy plans. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to the lead on Jake Tapper. We begin with breaking news. President Trump expected to change course in less than an hour. The president expected to announce a different way to ask for citizenship information without inserting a question about it into the U.S. Census. Sources telling CNN that the president plans to direct the Commerce Department to get citizenship information through other means. The president has been pushing to add a citizenship question to the census, but the Supreme Court last month initially rejected the addition. Critics say the question will lead to minorities being undercounted, allowing Republicans to gain seats in the House of Representatives and causing minority communities to lose out on critical federal funding and representation. It's an argument boosted a few weeks ago by new evidence that a Republican consultant who worked on the effort to add the question to the census had concluded in a 2015 study that such an effort would help Republicans and hurt Democrats. The Justice Department insisted that the 2015 study had not played a role in their decision making. CNN's Caitlin Collins is at the White House for us now. And Caitlin, what exactly is the president expected to announce? Well, essentially, Jake, if this reporting and this is what the president is going to do and not change his mind, as we've seen him do related to this census just here in the last week, he is going to be taking this executive action. But instead of going after putting that question on the census, as they've been trying to do for not only the last several weeks where you've seen all of this shifting around, but really this is something the president has wanted to do for a while. They are going to be trying to go a different route. Now, they still want to be able to find out the information about how many undocumented immigrants there are living in the country. But they seem to realize that putting that question on the census just wasn't a legitimate path forward. So now they're going to take this kind of executive action to try to use the government and through other means to find out what that number is instead of adding a new question to the census, something that Democrats and critics of the president and even some courts said he just didn't have the authority to do. And Caitlin, how exactly did we end up here to abandon adding this question to the census entirely? Well, Jake, this has been a battle to begin with. We saw where the Supreme Court said their first defense for adding this was contrived, essentially telling them to do better. And then the courts were surprised when the administration said they were actually going to drop the effort altogether. Then just a few hours later, the president contradicted that and said, no, we're going to move forward. And in recent days, they've been expressing or actually uh, positivity, saying that they did feel like they could move forward with this, with the Attorney General Bill Barr saying that there were multiple paths they could take. But clearly, Jake, none of those paths were sustained and that's now what we're going to see the president announce here soon, a new path. What's interesting about all of this is career officials from the beginning recommended this, trying to find out how many undocumented immigrants live in the country through other means, whether it's Social Security, the IRS, all of these other methods they could use instead of going down this path of adding the question to the census. And now it seems to be that is the route they're going to take after all of this and this fight over the last few days. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House for us. Let's, let's chew over all this. Keith Boykin, let me start with you. Uh, earlier today, a lot of people thought President Trump was going to try to insert this question through executive action. Uh, and there were many commentators saying this was 
going to prompt a, a serious, legitimate constitutional crisis. Are you surprised that the president seems to be backing off that plan? I am surprised, and I don't believe it, and I won't believe it until <laughs> I see it, actually. This was going to be a constitutional crisis because the president would be acting in direct defiance of the U.S. Supreme Court decision just two weeks ago. The idea that the president of the United States, by executive order, could go around and circumvent what the Supreme Court, the highest judiciary body of our land, has to say is an outrageous statement of affairs of where we are in our country right now. And I just can't imagine that even his advisors would allow him to go forward with this. It looks like he's backing down. And if it is, I think that's finally a recognition that he's realizing that he is bound by the law like every other president. What do you think? Are you surprised? The the checks and balances are working and we should all be sort of relieved. Whatever side of the issue you're you're on, whether you think that the census is the right place for, for this kind of question, or if you think this question is, it, it, you know, not a, a, the right one to ask at all, the checks and balances are working. The Supreme Court made a ruling. The president, whatever, you know, by the grace of God, realized um, I'm not going to continue continue pursuing this. That's ultimately a good thing. And we have to keep reminding ourselves to have faith in these institutions, despite mm-hmm. Trump trying to test the fences constantly for weaknesses, our institutions are, are stronger than he is. Uh, Ali, are there any legal concerns if the president asks the Commerce Department to try to find out an answer to this question, to survey the American people, uh, or I guess I shouldn't say the American people, to survey the population in the country through other means? There could be, and it depends what those other means are. There's no inherent problem or illegality with counting the number of citizens in this country. The problem that the administration ran into was their reasons and their method for doing it. The problem with putting this question on the census was that it was going to intimidate non-citizens and people who live with them, leading to this undercount, which I think the Supreme Court strongly suggested was the true motive, leading to less congressional representation, less funding. So how are they going to go about it now? If they're going to count through unobtrusive means and means where you're not going to end up with an undercount and with this intimidation factor, they should be okay to do it. But if they're going to be doing it some other way that intimidates non-citizens and leads to an undercount, then we could end up right back in court. Anna, I have to say, I mean, the the fight over who is a citizen, who who is not a citizen, whether it's through the census or through some other means, it's right in the president's wheelhouse in terms of like how he gets his base issues that he thinks help him. Absolutely. Look, I think he thinks it helped him. I think he thinks making immigrants the boogie monster helped him win in 2016. We saw him again rev up the issue uh, in the 2018 elections. He thinks it works. He's going back to his old playbook. We see him. Look, as we talk right now, there's kids in cages at the border. There is the entire census question thing going on. There's the announcement of mass deportations this weekend. He is going to fan the flames and provoke hate and division and fear through immigration over and over and over again between now and the elections. It's just... Take a deep breath, America, because it's not going to be pretty. I, I do have to say, though, uh, as he, uh, President Trump was critical of President Obama and how often he used executive orders and executive right. actions, the old pen and the phone. Uh, and yet he has already surpassed Obama in terms of yeah. executive orders and actions. And, and it's only July. Uh, same for boycotts. I mean, you can find a, a whole long list of hypocrisies in Trump's biography and Trump's rhetoric. Um, I am not surprised he has been so taken with executive actions. He seems envious of countries where they don't have to mess around with problems like Congress and these (laughs) other kinds of checks and balances like the law and constitutions, things he really doesn't have a lot of affection for. So uh, this is executive action is completely in his wheelhouse. And do as I say, not as I do is very so often 
uh, Trump's sort of byline. All right. Thanks, everyone. Stick around. We got more to talk about because thousands of undocumented immigrant families could soon be hauled off and deported from 10 major cities. The mayor of one of those cities, a Republican, will join us next. And then President Trump's one-sided summit. Several questionable characters at the White House right now looking to solve a perceived problem without the people who can actually solve the problem. Stay with us. The National League now, we now know the 10 cities President Trump plans to target in ICE deportation raids set for this weekend. Starting Sunday, agents from ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, will focus on Atlanta, Baltimore, Chicago, Denver, Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, New Orleans, New York, and San Francisco, arresting, they say, some 2,000 undocumented immigrants, many of them families who already have court orders instructing them to leave the country. The New York Times was first to report that the roundups are expected to start on Sunday. CNN's Diane Gallagher is live in Atlanta, one of those 10 cities targeted. And Diane, you've been talking to undocumented people in one specific Latin American community there. What are they telling you? You know, Jake, I'll tell you that the president's message or in the way some are receiving it, a threat has definitely been received. But their responses to it were pretty varied. Uh, We're at a Latin Mercado here. Hundreds of families coming, bringing their children to shop and play and work. And they definitely know about this raid. It's spread throughout the community. I talked to one mother, though. She's been in the U.S. for 15 years. She's from Mexico. Her three children are U.S. citizens. Her husband has a work permit. She said she has never been so afraid in the 15 years that she has been here. So much so that for her job at a hotel, Jake, she's taking a taxi instead of driving her car just in case she got pulled over for something or somebody hit her so she wouldn't become collateral damage. She said that uh, new immigrants have moved into her community. So even though she doesn't have a deportation order, she is afraid that perhaps ICE would round her up as well and has talked about a plan with her oldest son what they need to do if something like this happens. However, I was in a nail salon. One woman said, I think it's just a scare tactic. The president threatened to do this last month. He didn't do anything. It's like the boy who cried wolf. All right, Diane Gallagher, thank you so much. Joining me now uh, is mayor of one of the 10 cities where the raids are planned, uh, Mayor Francis Suarez of Miami. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Mr. Mayor. Um, You're the mayor of a city that is nearly 70 percent Hispanic. Um, What is your message to the people of Miami who are worried? Well, you know, my message is, uh, you know, uh, you shouldn't be worried. The city of Miami is not coming after you. Um, You know, obviously, uh, those uh, who are violent criminals uh, who potentially are not in this country legally, um, certainly we don't want those uh, people in in our city. Uh, But 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 aside from that, you know, we uh, as a city um, are a city of immigrants. So we embrace the fact that um, we have a tremendous amount of diversity in our city. And I'm, I'm obviously the product of, of two Cuban exiles. My dad came when he was 12 years old. My mother uh, came when she was five. Uh, I'm the first Miami-born mayor. My father was the first uh, Cuban-born mayor. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, what we would say is you have nothing to fear from the city of Miami, that's for sure. Is your understanding that the ICE raids expected to start this weekend are targeting violent people who are in this country illegally or that they're targeting families and others who have been ordered to leave the country uh, and have not honored those orders. 
Frankly, Jake, we don't know because the federal government hasn't communicated with our government. Um, they haven't uh, told us what their parameters are. They haven't asked us to support what they're doing um, or given us any information uh, on, the, on, on who they're targeting, how they're targeting them. Um, so frankly, we're in the dark. Um, I, I don't know how uh, whatever the you know, crisis is in the southern border relates uh, to the city of Miami. In the city of Miami, uh, the immigration issues really relate more to countries like uh, Venezuela, uh, Nicaragua and Haiti, uh, many of which are seeking extensions of TPS status, uh, having fled those countries. Well, let me ask you a question with all due respect. If the federal government hasn't communicated with you who they're targeting this weekend, uh, how can you tell people in Miami that they have nothing to worry about unless they're violent criminals? Because it sounds like, yeah. I mean, what we are hearing is that who's going to be targeted might be Families, people who have been who people who are not in the country yeah. legally, but they've been and they've been told they need to leave, but are not necessarily violent criminals, not necessarily causing any harm to the communities. Um, but if you're not sure, why should people yeah. uh, not worry? Well, at first, they have nothing to worry from the city of Miami. Uh, from the city of Miami, okay. Not, yeah, we, we are not. We're not participating in any raids. We haven't been asked to participate in any raids, um, and and certainly we are obviously a pro-immigrant. Uh, city. Uh, right, but, but shouldn't they worry uh, about ICE is what I'm saying. Are, are, might they not worry about uh, ICE agents? You know, I, I think uh, certainly people who live in fear and, and we are, we're, you know, uh, a city where we do have a high immigrant population, so they, they may be afraid of, of what, what would be happening this Sunday. Um, you know, last time that there was going to be supposed raids that were canceled at the last minute, and frankly, the, the federal government hasn't given us any information, uh, so, so we don't know how to inform anyone of what's going to happen. So, so those who are in fear, I can understand their fear. Uh, I can understand uh, why they would be afraid, but frankly, we don't have any information, uh, you know, to, to allay their fears or or to uh, my my as mayor what i hope mm -hmm. is that the people that they're focused on are people that are very dangerous uh, because those people obviously shouldn't be in our community to begin with well i don't think anybody would have any problem with that but i think yeah, the concern no is that they're focusing on the focusing on families let me ask you for people who don't I know that who that's are not at, the case yeah for people who don't know you're a republican um yeah. do you support president trump in in enacting this policy Look, I, I'm a Republican, but I'm also an immigrant. I think uh, in this country, uh, so many of us came to this country seeking the American dream. And to me, uh, wanting to be an American is not a Republican or a Democratic issue. Uh, those who come to this country um, seeking freedom, seeking liberty, um, want to be taxpaying productive members of our society should be Americans. Uh, I, I don't understand why it's even a difficult issue, frankly, at the national level. I understand it becomes very partisan uh, and, and there's a, you know, there's a tr tremendous amount of partisan rhetoric around this issue issue. But uh, as a mayor, uh, this is a very simple issue for us. All right, Mayor Francis Suarez of Miami, thank you so much for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jake. Breaking news. We're now hearing what President Trump thought of Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta's attempt to save his job yesterday. Stay with us. Breaking news. Sources are telling CNN that President Trump is questioning whether Labor Secretary Alex Acosta did enough to keep his job in that press conference yesterday. Acosta has been under intense scrutiny for his role in that 2008 plea deal for Jeffrey Epstein, who's now been charged with trafficking minors. CNN's Caitlin Collins is back with me. Caitlin, what are you learning about the president's thinking? 
Well, Jake, the president has been completely silent publicly on how Alex Acosta did during that press conference. But now we are being told that while initially he was pretty favorable to how he performed and how he defended himself, he has since become skeptical and is now quizzing people about whether they think his answers were sufficient to uh, essentially make this controversy go away. Now, it's not that the president has concerns necessarily about his role in the plea deal, but he's instead worried about this being something that is just following his administration, essentially looming over the the White House. And now that is raising some concerns since he's been quizzing people about how Alex Acosta did about how long Alex Acosta could potentially last in this administration. The president has not been voicing confidence, we're told, from the people he's been speaking with about this. And that is raising questions inside the West Wing about what is going to be next for the labor secretary. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House with the latest. Thank you so much. In the National League today, anxiety is high in cities nationwide with the president's deportation raid set to begin on Sunday. I put myself at risk to help my family in Guatemala and to get food for myself. Now we're being very cautious. We're staying at home with the doors locked. Some of them are not working right now. They're afraid to go out. And there are thousands with uh, similar uh, worries. Uh, Phil Bump, you're joining us now. Let me ask you, do you think there is any chance that President Trump has ordered these ICE raids that he called off a few weeks ago in order to distract from the Epstein story, from uh, the pending testimony of Robert Mueller? I mean, do you think that uh, of the defeats he's had uh, in terms of the census, I mean, is he, a lot of his critics say that he does this to distract? Yeah, I mean, I, it's always hard to anticipate what Trump is doing, what his motivation is for anything at, at any point in time. I, I think that's probably less likely here, simply because on the campaign trail, he spent a lot of time talking about how I'm going to get all those folks out of this country. I'm going to, you know, he, he, he claimed to be focusing primarily on people who had criminal backgrounds, but it was pretty clear given his rhetoric. I mean, he, he cited this operation by Dwight Eisenhower in 1954 as an example of the sort of thing he wanted to do, which was this massive raid and, and deportation of folks. So it seems clear this has been something that he's wanted to do for quite some time. Quite frankly, I'm more surprised it's taken him this long to actually try and enact it. And Anna, you heard the mayor of Miami who um, didn't seem to know who was going to be targeted in these ICE raids. He said the city of Miami, nobody has anything to fear from the city of Miami, which wasn't really the question. Uh, and he hopes that it's just violent people. Of course, I don't think anybody here has a problem with violent people being deported who are not in this country illegally, uh, but who are not in this country illegally. But but we're hearing that it might just be families, people who have been told that they need to leave and haven't left. I think it's outrageous that they are planning this for, what, three days from now. And the city, the, uh, the mayor of the city of Miami, one of the cities targeted, knows nothing. You know, does not have the information. I mean, I, I would hope that Marco Rubio, that Francis Suarez, that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, are knocking down the doors of the White House trying to get some information because it is irresponsible. As Francis Suarez, the mayor, said, in Miami, you've got an enormous amount of Venezuelans right now who are fleeing the murderous, thuggish government of Maduro. Somebody that uh, Trump has spent a lot of time and resources targeting to try to get rid of because he is a murderer, mm -hmm. because he is killing and starving Venezuelans. Are we going to deport those people back to Venezuela? Is that the kind of America? Is that the kind of people we are? Is that the message we are sending the hemisphere and the world? And just think about, you know, these are people who have homes, who are in schools, who have jobs, who do things that often Americans don't want to do. 
And some of them are doing great things. Some of them are professionals. Are those the folks that we're targeting? They are mothers and they are fathers or they are grandparents. Look, do we need comprehensive immigration reform? Do we need to enforce the law? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But should we be doing this in this mean-spirited, disorganized way <laughs> where even the mayors of the city don't know anything? And just as, to send a political message, that's disgusting and, and hateful. And as, as you know, it's not just undocumented immigrants who, uh, who worry. So do uh, people who live in their communities. They're also on it. Right. Take a listen. It slows down whenever uh, a potential raid it's, it's occurring or about to occur. Uh, it's in the public domain, so people hear about it through rumors and they stop coming. So it is affecting, it affects uh, your quality of life. Even the, the threat of raids could have a long-term ripple effect. Um, and again, uh, the communication from the federal government yeah. to the city seems to be non-existent. That's because this isn't designed to solve a problem. Right. Rounding up 2000 people amidst 11 million um, immigrants who are here illegally is not solving any kind of problem. It's designed to send a message and it's not designed to send a message to these people, the people who are feeling it the most, who are living in fear. It's designed to send a message to his supporters to say, I'm on top of this. I'm strong. I've given Democrats and Republicans opportunities to come to the table. I'm doing something about this. It's just for his fans, which makes it so much more odious and despicable that this is really part of a campaign platform. It has nothing to do with solving immigration. And let me just say on the other side, this issue has stymied Republicans and Democrats who at one time or another had full control of Congress. Mm -hmm. Obama had full control of Congress, did not do meaningful immigration reform. Trump had full control of Congress, did not build a wall, did not do meaningful immigration reform. And the dirty secret is that this issue is so politically profitable, broken. Solving it is almost getting rid of the incentive for Republicans, Democrats to run on immigration, to fundraise on, on it. It's disgusting, the lack of leadership politically on this issue, this is the latest, but it is not the first, you know, the only example of a lack of leadership. I, I think Essie is, is exactly right. It's punitive, it's mean-spirited, it's disorganized, it's chaotic, and it's not designed to solve a problem. It's much like the census issue. Trump has no fundamental political philosophy. So he just does whatever he thinks will win in the moment. And this is an objective try designed to win in the moment to get his supporters ginned up for the re-election. Well, maybe they should start these deportation raids at his golf clubs and hotels. God knows there's been a lot of undocumented immigrants mm -hmm. working there. That is an hypocrite. That, well, without the hypocrite part of it, it is accurate to say uh, that, uh, that there have been a lot of undocumented immigrants who have worked for the Trump organizations. Uh, be sure to tune in for a CNN special report, The Hidden Workforce. Undocumented in America. That airs at 10 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night here on CNN. Coming up, a White House summit to solve what's perceived as a problem, although they did not invite the people who could solve the problem. That's next. In our tech lead right now, the president is wrapping up his so-called social media summit, something you might expect the big players such as Twitter or Facebook to attend. Instead, President Trump invited a Colorful group of right-wing internet groups and individuals. The only social media company there, apparently, is a platform called Minds, formerly popular with neo-Nazis to spread their propaganda. They're all joined by others, such as meme creators popular with Trump supporters for praising the president in clever ways or attacking his opponents in other ways. As CNN's Tom Foreman now reports, President Trump is discussing the challenges of social media with a very small circle who share his views. 
The social media summit turned into a who's who of some extremely controversial conservatives, all breathless supporters of the president, including James O'Keefe, long accused of misleading editing and loathsome behavior in his efforts to expose alleged liberal bias. Internet personality Bill Mitchell and Gateway Pundit, both known to push wild conspiracy theories. Twitter meme makers such as Carpe Donctum and Mad Liberals. A social media site once popular with neo-Nazis was invited. Even a right-wing cartoonist accused of pushing anti-Semitic racist material. After much controversy, he was uninvited. But plenty of others came to raise the cry that social media companies are silencing conservative voices. So who's out? Neither Facebook nor Twitter was welcomed. Two of the companies that could answer those conservative complaints amid a growing drumbeat for regulation. Uh, There are a lot of people that want us to take action against uh, Facebook and against Twitter and frankly against Amazon. The outrage is ironic for this president who has used social media far more than any other. With more than 25 million Facebook followers, almost 62 million on Twitter, and tens of thousands of posts and tweets to his name, he has met every call for him to rein it in with an unshakable belief in the power it gives him. I put one out this morning, and as soon as I pressed the button, they said, we have breaking news for every network, every station. In addition, Trump supporters have pumped the Internet full of their content, some of it inflammatory, false, or otherwise in violation of platform policies. Yet Trump and other conservatives insist the social media giants are blocking their followers, stifling their free speech, and pushing a liberal agenda. Trump falsely tweeted during the election, for example, Twitter, Google, and Facebook are burying the criminal investigation of Clinton. Very dishonest media. And it's a theme he's pushing still. Let me tell you, they're trying to rig the election. I tell you what, they should be sued because what's happening with with the bias Many Democrats, independents, and even some Republicans are saying, look, this has not been so much a summit as a hit job on big social media companies, a preemptive attack to paint them as unfair and beat them into submission just as the 2020 race is heating up. So if Team Trump gets into any trouble during the election, they can throw up their hands and say, see, we told you, they're unfair. Jake. Perennially, their victim. Yeah. Tom Foreman, thank you so much. Sure. Insults and promises, the pitch Joe Biden just made that was full of name-calling. Stay with us. Thank you very much. In our 2020 lead, Joe Biden today drawing one of the sharpest contrasts to date between him and President Trump. In a speech laying out his foreign policy plans, if elected, Biden lambasting the president for his relationship with American allies, promising he won't, quote, coddled dictators, and reminding voters about his decades of foreign policy work. But as CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports, that's exactly what Biden's critics are using to attack him. Make no mistake about it. The world sees Trump for what he is, insincere, ill-informed, and impulsive, and sometimes corrupt. Joe Biden outlining his foreign policy doctrine today offering a worldview that revolves almost entirely around defeating President Trump and dismantling his America First agenda. Donald Trump's brand of American First has too often led to America alone. 
In a speech in New York today, the former vice president pledged to restore fraying U.S. alliances, calling the 2020 election an urgent turning point for the world. We have to restore our ability to rally the free world. We only have one opportunity to reset this democracy after Trump. And we have to be prepared to make the most of it. But Biden is also seeking to reset his own campaign, trying once again to present himself as the best Democrat to confront Trump and hoping to allay any concern about the strength of his candidacy. The contrast with Trump was stark in both policy and presentation, as Biden delivered a sober lecture rather than the more boisterous talk the president favors. President Obama and Vice President Biden, they didn't have a clue. They got taken advantage of by China, by NATO, by every country they did business with. If elected, Biden said he would convene a summit of the world's strongest democracies during his first year in office, signaling to allies a return to an American normalcy. He did not address the distinctions inside the Democratic primary, not directly mentioning his 2002 vote to authorize the Iraq war, which his rivals have already been using to raise questions about his judgment. Joe voted for that war. I helped lead the opposition to that war, which is a total disaster. The closest Biden came was this. American leadership is not infallible. We've made missteps and mistakes. As he pushed for an end to the longest conflict in U.S. history. It's long past time we end the forever wars. I have long argued that we should bring home the vast majority of our combat troops. Now, while Biden kept his remarks squarely focused on President Trump, he had barely finished speaking when a top advisor to Bernie Sanders called Biden out, saying any forward-looking policy must grapple with the continuing impact of Iraq. It's an open question, though, if Iraq or Trump's worldview is a more pressing concern to voters. Jake? All right, Jeff Zeleny, uh, thanks so much. Um, Phil Bump, um, Biden today said that if he were president, there will be no more Helsinki's, a reference to the, the meeting with Putin. He said the world sees President Trump as ill-informed and impulsive, and he slammed what he called Twitter tra- tantrums by the president. What do you make of it all? Well, I think that, that Biden is, as Jeff said, he's very squarely trying to focus this on a it is me against Trump debate, right? I mean, this is how he started his campaign. Kamala Harris knocked him off that off that track during that debate. He is trying to resuscitate his campaign by going back to something with which he feels very comfortable. Now, remember, in 2008, the reason one of the reasons that Barack Obama chose Biden was to square up his own foreign foreign policy credentials. Biden sees this as an area of strength for him. He's trying to present that it is him versus Trump on this field. Whether or not it takes remains to be seen. Now, Republican critics of Biden are pointing to a line from the former uh, defense secretary uh, during uh, the uh, Obama years and also Bush, um, Robert Gates, his 2014 book, where he says Joe Biden has been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy decision over the last 40 years. Gates stands by that. Um, is is that a problem? Well, look, 40 years is a long time, right? I think he's entitled to some mistakes. Listen, but he's saying everything was a mistake. Every that, single that, major decision. That, was that, a that sounds a little bit of an exaggeration. Uh, Joe Biden's greatest strength and certainly what he's trying to portray is his experience. He was the chairman at a time of the Foreign Relations Committee in, uh, in the Senate. It is his greatest strength. It's also baggage. And it's also uh, given, you know, put a target on his back when it comes to his opponents. He wants to focus squarely on Trump. His opponents in the Democratic primary want to focus squarely on him. And I think after Kamala Harris showed that you can get a bump of 10 points after knocking him off his game, he's going to he's going to see much more of that. We saw how defensive he got defending some of his domestic record. 
I mean, if you look at his foreign policy, he was against the Gulf War. He was for the Iraq War. He was against the Osama bin Laden raid. He was for intervention in Yemen. He's going to have to answer questions from his own party, not just his candidates, but Democratic voters on all of those decisions. If he's as defensive as he was, as he has been, I don't think he's going to clear any of those landmines. Yeah, yeah, the criticism from Robert Gates actually helps him because Gates was complaining about Biden's votes against the Reagan administration. In the Democratic primary, that's a good thing because Democrats did not like Reagan. But the general problem that Biden has is that he's running a general election campaign. That was a general election speech. That does nothing for him in terms of winning the primary. If he's running against running against Donald Trump in the fall of next year, that's very useful. But right now, he's got to explain his vote on the war in Iraq, and that's still an issue that separates him from the other Democrats he'll be facing in the Democratic primary, not to mention the fact that Trump goes around claiming that he was opposed to the war in Iraq, even though he's had both positions on it. So he's going to have to separate himself, Joe Biden, from Donald Trump's own position. The Democrats can't speak with some sort of moral clarity on the issue if they have somebody who doesn't speak clearly on that issue as well. Well, Keith, let me, let me just follow up on that. How big an issue is the war in Iraq for Democratic voters. They had a stark choice in 2016. Hillary Clinton voted for the war in Iraq, though she said, like Biden, that she regretted it. Bernie Sanders opposed it. And they went with Hillary Clinton last time. Why would it hurt Biden uh, if it didn't really hurt Hillary Clinton necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still an issue. It did hurt Hillary Clinton in the primaries. That's part of the reason why Bernie Sanders was able to take off. I mean, it didn't stop her from winning the nomination. But 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 Joe Biden's got a lot more competition than Hillary Clinton had. So she has he also has to deal with other candidates like Kamala Harris. And he has to deal with Elizabeth Warren. He has to deal with Bernie Sanders as well. So you've got 24 other candidates out there where Hillary Clinton only had one. All right. You know, he should just get an empty globe, put it in front of Donald Trump and say, here, Name 10 countries. <laughs> That's uh, Donald Trump would make them up and his supporters would still love him. <laughs> you don't want to miss the next Democratic presidential primary debates right here on CNN. My colleagues, Dana Bash and Don Lemon, will join me in moderating both nights of the debate, July 30th and July 31st in Detroit, Michigan. Not just rising temperatures and increasing natural disasters, the growing problem that the climate crisis is causing that few people saw coming. That's next. Our buried lead now, a State Department analyst resigned, according to the Wall Street Journal and New York Times, after the White House removed portions of his June congressional testimony, which included evidence that the climate crisis is a threat to U.S. national security. The State Department told CNN it does not comment on personnel matters. As part of our Earth Matters series, CNN's climate correspondent Bill Weir is looking into an economic as well as an environmental threat to communities across this country, what's known as climate gentrification. This intersection is nine feet above sea level. This one is seven, that one is six. And these numbers are just one reminder that in the age of sea level rise, elevation is everything. The plan is to raise no, the seawall to here. It'll be about this high. In ritzy Miami Beach, they're raising streets, changing building codes. The water is rising and it won't recede. In well-to-do Pinecrest, they formed America's first underwater homeowners association. But in working-class immigrant neighborhoods like Little Haiti, year-to-year sea level rise gets lost in the day-to-day struggle. They had no idea they were living a lofty three feet higher than their rich neighbors, but they figured it out when strangers started calling and buying. They are being pushed out from, uh, from their homes, from their businesses. We are now... Because uh, high ground is, because, is because, valued property Well, now. believe it or not, we didn't know that. Investors from as far away as China 
began buying land, raising rent. Mom and pop businesses began to disappear. And after the kids in Marlene's community center had to move three times, she learned the term climate gentrification. Do you imagine a day where property values could almost flip, where what used to be the bad side of the railroad tracks is more valuable because it's high ground as opposed to the beach? I don't imagine it for climatic reasons. I imagine it for other uh, gentrification reasons. Miami's Republican mayor championed a plan to spend $400 million on the climate crisis, including funds to keep low-income folks from being priced out of safe neighborhoods. But Marlene says she'll believe it when she sees it and fought hard to stop a billion-dollar development called Magic City in, you guessed it, Little Haiti. They want to build 25 stories. That will be the end of the Little Haiti. Right. That will be the end but of doesn't it also mean thousands of new jobs for the community? For who? Not for, who? for you, not for these for folks. They won't be here to access the jobs uh. because they will be displaced. But her protests failed. And after Magic City promised $31 million to the community, the mega project was approved. The area we took was all industrial. There was no real thriving economy around these warehouses or vacant land. So our goal is to create that economy. Is sea level rise part of the equation? Well, look, we're in the time that we purchased this property, obviously climate change is something that everybody looks at. But it wasn't a factor that we considered when acquiring the property. The reality is that it's inevitable. Leone is among the Haitian leaders who believes gentrification is out of control. So they might as well embrace Magic City and hope for the best. We need to be part of the solution. Because if you're not around the table, what are you? The meal. We don't want to be nobody's meal. (laughs) This puts her at odds with Marlene. But they are just a sample of how a slow-motion disaster is dividing neighbors. How climate is giving new meaning to the old saying, real estate is all about location, location, and elevation. And Bill Weir joins me in studio right now. Bill, do the people in power down there, do they see this as climate gentrification? Well, it's tricky because they can't really admit that they would lose to the sea eventually. You know, all of the real estate tax base is based in development and growth. So the mayor is saying, we're going to manage it. He's one of the rare Republicans who passionately agrees it exists and we should be mitigating it, but thinks we can get out ahead of it and in making Miami, instead of the most vulnerable, the most sort of resolute adaptable city. And you go all over the country. Have you seen this elsewhere? No, they're leading the way. Uh, Florida, South Florida, California, and Alaska, where it was hotter in Anchorage than Key West on the 4th of July. It's a nonpartisan issue there. All right, Bill Weir, thanks so much. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Jake Tamper. Tweet the show at the lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.